Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke uh, in the 12th chapter, starting in verse 49. Jesus speaking to his disciples, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Never be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble, says John Lewis. Many of you may have heard this quote earlier this year when John Lewis, former state representative and civil rights activist, passed away. There's actually a documentary about his life called Good Trouble that you can watch on streaming. And I think in today's passage, Jesus was trying to explain to his disciples that this was the path he was traveling. It was going to be filled with some necessary trouble. It was not going to end in a plush mansion, but on a lonely hill, and they needed to prepare themselves to follow him. Now, this passage is the second in a series, a sermon series, that Corey Wilcoxon originally put together. Um, when I read the passage, I was a little like, what have I gotten myself into? Uh, but I think he makes really excellent points about the ways that we domesticate Jesus all the time, that we make him easy to take, gentle, and not offensive to anyone. And I agree with Corey that I don't think that's an accurate reflection of who he was, how he lived his life, or why he was killed. Jesus caused trouble. He made people uncomfortable, just like he's making me uncomfortable preaching this passage today. As Corey puts it at the title of his series, Jesus was not always a nice guy. But he was always in the service of building the kingdom of God. I also know now with enough experience that when I have been the most uncomfortable has also been when I have grown the most and my faith has been the most tested, and I either find out the places where it's sturdy, or I find out there are cracks in the foundation. And I want this whole series to kind of help us prepare for Advent, so we really know who we're preparing ourselves for. Not just the Good Shepherd, not just the light of the world, but also one who brings fire and division for a Savior that will be born is not just a baby in swaddling, but one who will and is supposed to change everything. So Corey's original title for this passage was Jesus is an Arsonist. <laughs> because he says, I came to bring fire, I wish it was already kindled. We realize that this is not the first time we've heard this. John the Baptist talks about it before this. He said, the one who's coming after me will baptize with fire. We know way back in the Old Testament, God consumed a bush with fire to call Moses. We know that after Jesus at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came like fire and flame. So fire is clearly going to be a part of this story. While I was writing my sermon, I realized I couldn't imagine preaching on this in the West Coast right now with everything that they're struggling with with the wildfires, but... 
I believe when Jesus talks about fire here, he's talking about how fire can make a clearing, can make room for something new. We know that controlled burns are actually good for forests. They're good for the environment. They allow and make room for new growth, that it's the only way it's going to happen. I don't think that Jesus wants to burn it down for no reason, but because, in fact, there are things that need to be burned and destroyed, both, both in people's individual lives in order to really follow Jesus, but also whole systems that needed to start again from the ground up. And he's just being honest that this is going to cause division. Jesus says so. He's not here to bring peace. But if we think about it, we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus would cause division and make people uncomfortable or trouble them. He's, doing, he's been doing that since the day of his birth. Think about the hard decisions that Mary and Joseph had to make in order to listen to God. I'm sure their families might not have been on board with everything they decided to do. They couldn't find a place to stay when they went to his hometown. In the midst of his birth, Herod ends up murdering all those under two because he's so terrified of this new king that is coming. Mary got warned just a little while later when they brought Jesus to be dedicated at the temple. Simeon warned her, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. We know the disciples had to choose, really choose to follow Jesus, and we don't hear about what their families thought about it, but Maybe not all their friends and family thought it was such a good idea. And I realize even when Jesus did the stuff that we like, when he's teaching or when he's healing, not everybody in the crowd was cheering then either. After his first sermon in his hometown, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. I'm grateful that has never happened here. <laughs> not yet. Uh, but also when he healed a blind man in another town, the religious authorities came and they questioned the blind man, they questioned the blind man's parents, they questioned Jesus. They all disagreed and disbelieved what was happening, and who he was. He disturbed people, and he divided people so much that they condemned him to a cross. He didn't end up there by accident. And although I love and I need the good shepherd, and I love and I need the light of the world when I am struggling and hurting, if I'm really honest, I know that I also need Jesus to challenge me. JC hit me a great comment before church. He said, you need a pat on the back, and sometimes you need a kick in the rear. <laughs> and Jesus doesn't always let you pick when that's going to happen. <laughs> um, but Jesus needs to challenge and point out the ways that I have become too comfortable in my faith or even complacent. Like, I think it's just something I need to dust off every once in a while. That I can forget that my faith is not only meant to transform me, but through me and all others who know it, that we transform the world, that we build a, the kingdom of God because of it. As Marianne Williamson said, when you ask God into your life, you think God's going to come into your psychic house, look around and see that you maybe need a new floor or some better furniture, and clearly everything needs to be cleaned. And so you go along thinking how nice life is that God is there. Then you look out the window one day, and you see there's a wrecking ball outside. And it turns out your foundation is shot, and you're going to have to start building from scratch. Now, I agree with Corey. As a preacher, I love this scripture. 
As an actual Christian who has to follow it, it's a little bit tougher. Because <laughs> it means if I want to fully walk in faith, to really be transformed by the resurrection, and not just my life after death, but my life here and now, to walk into the abundant life that Jesus wants to promise me, Jesus is going to have to burn some things in my life. And I think some of those things are things I really like. He's not just going to order me a new bedspread and clean the floors. But the stuff that he's burning down, if I'm honest, is taking up precious real estate in my heart and my mind and maybe even in my home. And he's not just coming for us as individuals, but he's often talking about the whole religious system that had lost its path and just sat itself in the middle and remained silent in order to keep things as they were. But as I said before, fire can be used to clear things away, to make room for new growth. I learned about a practice from Pastor Shalair Stokes, who serves at the Bethel AME Church here in uh, Jeffersonville, who's in my downtown clergy group, uh, that they do a particular practice at their watch night service, and that's on um, Christmas, uh, not Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve. Uh, into the new year, and they write two letters. They write one letter about the things that they want in their lives that year, areas they want to work on, specifically areas in their faith, and they hand those in to Pastor Schleyer, and she keeps them and sends them to them later in the year. But they write a second letter of the things they don't want in their life that year, um, things they want to be free of, and that one goes in a fire. Those get burned. They get symbolically burn to, as a way of giving them away to God to make room for what they do want, um, what they desire freedom from. It's meant to give them freedom, whether that's freedom from particular sins or um, from oppressive behavior, whether it's from addictions or relationships or a terrible job or from systems that want to do them harm. They want freedom from injustice. I firmly believe that Jesus doesn't want to burn things simply to make us suffer but to burn away the things that either don't matter or things that are, in fact, hurting us or hurting others to make room for the things that do matter. I don't think he wants to divide us to make us suffer, but to divide us to make a decision about which side we are on, ours or God's, and whether or not those are the same. And if we're on God's side, it may mean we end up on a different side from friends and family, people we know. But Jesus is saying there is no middle ground, there is no fence sitting to keep people happy. But if we're just going to go through the motions of faith, then we're playing at it. I still remember the first time Mark told me about his brother, who is a monk. And he said his name is Pacomius, which I, of course, made him repeat like two or three more times so I would get it right. And I looked at him and I said, right, but like, your mom doesn't call him that, right? Like, you still call him Matthew, right? No. I remember when he was talking about it, he remembered, Pacomius had to do several vow ceremonies to complete it. And at one of them, they asked the candidate to lay prostrate on the ground, face down, before the altar. 
and they literally cover them with a cloth to symbolize the death of one life, of Matthew, of who he used to be. And when they remove it, he is entering his new life as Pacomius. In his life, he also wears very particular robes. In the last couple of years, he went and got uh, his PhD away from the monastery. And for the first year, he, you know, he would wear kind of, I call them civilian clothes. That's not the right term, but he would wear regular clothes to class. But after a couple semesters, he decided he didn't want to do that anymore um, because he realized he still needed them. You know, we think, oh, those are for us so that we can identify him. And partially that's what they're for. But they are also symbols to him to remind him who he is, what his real name is, and the fact that he has dedicated his life to Jesus in a very particular way that requires very particular and real sacrifices. So yes, we call him Pacomius, also known as Munkle. Um, so I wonder, what if people knew by sight, by what we wore or what our name was, that we were a Christian, that we were a disciple of Christ. And sometimes we do. We wear a cross around our neck or we hang them in our home. But what if it was by the choices that we made, the way we spend our money or don't spend our money, the ways we take stands on particular issues, the topics we decide to study, whether it's the elders with racism, I wonder what division that might encounter, who it might make uncomfortable. Early Christians were kicked out of synagogues, and families were often divided when people were converted. There were real costs to being an early Christian. In this passage, Jesus asks us, what, what does our faith cost us? What are we willing, and how are we willing to let it define us? I think Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand the path that he is going to have to follow and where it's leading. He says, I'm under so much stress until it is completed because he knows where it's going and it's going to be literally painful for him, but also he knows it will be painful for his followers. He knew that it would cost them dearly and it would challenge their faith and understanding of what the Messiah was really going to be like that it was going to put them in conflict with their families and their religious homes and society in general. Just like it can and in some ways probably should even today. This passage reminds us that having faith in Jesus requires choices. The first one started with our own baptism. To again leave one life in the water and come out with a new one. It reminds us that what we do and what we don't do reflects those choices, that both our silence and inaction are also choices to keep the peace, to stay safe. Jesus doesn't call us to be cruel or unkind to people, but he does call us to stand up and speak when it would be easier to be silent. He calls us to action on behalf of broken systems and systems that have broken real people. But God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. He did it to save it. The good news is he gives us what matters. A new life based on what 
God values, not what the world values. He gives us what's truly worth fighting for. He gives us what a cause that's worth losing so much. He's burning away the stuff that doesn't matter and making room for something entirely new to grow, a path for us to follow. When God came in the burning bush, Moses wasn't consumed, but he was compelled. He was inspired to be able to speak to a maniac king and to speak freedom to the Israelites. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, Peter wasn't burned, but he was burning with desire to share the story of Jesus with thousands of strangers, determined to make sure they would know what had happened and what was happening. So when we hear these words from Jesus, may we trust that Jesus came to divide us from what is false, to draw us closer to what is true and real and meaningful and good news. So may we also have the strength and the courage to live and speak the truth of our faith, to make it visible. May we be willing, by, like Jesus, to make a little good trouble, to make necessary trouble, because we're doing it for the kingdom of God.